0: Alright, hello guys. Well, welcome to our eighth module, and I'm going to introduce you to my friend Luis Sanchez. He's uh, from Mexico. Uh, he moved when he was ten years old, right? Luis? Nine, nine, nice. close enough. Oh, close enough. Okay, so <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna let him share his story and his experience as an ELL student. And well please thanks for uh taking your time. I do appreciate it. So um well first look, just just tell us what what you do uh in Kansas City. W- what are you doing right now?
1: Well right now I'm sitting in my living room.
0: There you go. I know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Not much, not, not much to do outside currently.
2: Yeah, right.
1: Uh, and besides that, I'm a, I'm a pastor and a church planter. Uh-huh. Uh, I, start, I love serving my community, and All right. uh, we're serve, Currently, we're serving a, our Hispanic community specifically. Okay. Uh, we're trying to reach out the Hispanic community, and not only that, but we also, like, we love to educate them through uh, immigration seminars and uh, ESL classes, oh,
2: okay. and uh,
1: right. just. You know, and we also offer uh, a service of uh, translators as well for schools or church, completely free. Mm-hmm. All we got to do is just give us a call and tell us when and where, and we'll put a team and we'll send them out, uh, you know, just for whenever they, the schools will need it. Or any, you know, uh, people we are connected as, as, as well with our local police departments, just in case if they ever, you know stop a, somebody, a family or somebody who doesn't speak English, they're more than happy to give us a call. Oh, and uh, okay. we'll, we'll be more than happy to translate for them. That way there's no misunderstanding, you know, between yeah, what's going on yeah, and yeah. then between the officer and the, and the, and the person they, who, whom they, they stop.
0: Yeah, well, that that sounds a lot. That's great. That's awesome. Um, and h- how long have you been in Kansas City?
1: In Kansas City specifically, I've been, let me see, I have nine, I'm 30. I've been 21 years, man. T- 21 years? Oh, yeah. 21 years. You're
0: more from Kansas City
1: right? <laughs> yeah, in a sense, yeah, I, I, I kind of enjoy barbecue a lot, and so yes. So,
0: nah, nice, nice, nice. So, and um, what part of Mexico you are?
1: Uh, yes, uh, I was born in Cuernavaca, Morelos, Mexico, which is about two hours or an hour, you correct me if I'm wrong, about an hour of um, Mexico City, uh-huh. yeah, down no, south good. of Mexico City, uh-huh. right, about yeah, an, hour, an hour, about an hour of Mexico City down south. It's basically like the, the song where I was from is pretty much from what I from what I've been told for my family and to what I can remember as well, uh, is pretty much like the, like the vacation song for the neck Me- for the people from Mexico city. They'll go out there for vacation on the weekends. Uh, that's where they enjoy the party up there. they they love that place and then they'll go back to business, you know, on Monday, uh, because it's only a, an hour away, even though it's only a, an hour away, there's a huge, um, discrepancy between both cities. Uh to begin with, is the weather. Uh-huh. Uh, my my parents told me that the nickname for the city is the city of uh, eternal spring or eternal spring, or, yep. or or, or everlasting spring. I don't know how you translate that correctly. Uh-huh. And um, pretty much the reason why is because the weather is um, it's a spring all year round. All yeah. year round, okay. is a spring. It there's affect- no such there's no such thing as winter, fall, or or summer right. in that city specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I I I saw the seasons. I mean, for the very first time, I saw the four seasons when we moved to the United States. Yeah. Because to me, what normal was, it was the spring all year round. Yeah.
2: Yeah,
0: like in my hometown, it's spring and the fall. I
1: spring mean, and but fall, The fall okay. is
0: just a little. Uh, yeah, yeah, the spring and the fall, because, I mean, not, not even the uh, uh, summer, you know? I mean, we, we don't, we're not as hot as Missouri during the summer. You know, Absolutely. The summer here, it's, it's, it's a really... It's a
2: It's a different story. Yeah.
0: Anyway, um, well, I just want you to to share your story. Um, you know, just feel free uh, to share whatever details you want to share. Uh, and especially uh, when you moved and you started at school in Kansas City as an ELL, you know. So, I mean, uh, if you can tell us why you moved your experience when you move here, uh, and, you know, some more o- other details if you want to.
1: All right? Sure. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, well, let me start with the first one that you said on why. So that way we have some sort of um, background, you know, background mm-hmm. on every, how we moving. Um Back in the 90s, and I'm not sure of right now, but because I got disconnected from it, Back in the '90s, uh, Cuernavaca, or the town where I was from, uh, it was known because there was a density, or it was high on uh, kidnapping. Kidnapping was a big deal back then. Uh, That was that was the major thing that we were, that as as a city, as a community, we were fighting kidnapping. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two reasons why: the first one is because since it was uh, the city was, I mean, the city is so beautiful Mm
2: -hmm. to begin
1: with, and since it was so beautiful, it was a magnet to all people from different backgrounds including all the people that are wealthy. Uh, in fact, you could go, I remember going to school and we will go like literally through mansions and mansions of houses. And we'll say, oh yeah, start such and this living here. Oh, and such and such, this person owns this house and he comes on the weekends, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the town is known for that. The town is known that you can encounter somebody who's very important, you know, down the street playing, you know, their kids playing down the road. Uh, and that's normal for, for us. For It was normal for us back then. Uh, so that meant that it also attracted another group of people. It, grew, it attracted a group of people that were in the business of kidnapping their kids or their daughters or their sons or, or a relative close enough to one of these one of these people that is uh, that it was highly influential and it was wealthy. Uh, unfortunately, what that meant for locals, it means uh, since those guys weren't around a lot of times, they were only there for a few days or weekends, et cetera, because they were doing the regular business you know, in Mexico City. It meant that those groups will target, um, you know, the people that was doing a ride in the city, and not only the people that was doing a ride in the city, maybe business owners or somebody who just had, who showed that he was living a little above the middle, the middle income gap. We can say mm-hmm. uh, those were their targets, and it got so crazy that even got to the lower to the lower level. I mean, to the point that they were just picking up people that. You know, mom and pop who were selling, you know, uh, food down the down the street, and they were asking them for ransoms that they were, you know, crazy ransoms that, you know, as a small business owner, or somebody who's just, you know, is trying to is selling food at the street to try to feed their family, you know, they will never be able to pay that. So my story is a little different, you know, Professor Navarro, because a lot of the students uh, that are, that your students will have or the students that you have had or the students that we had, in fact, when we worked together in KCIA, yeah. um, a, lo- a lot of them, they'll, they'll, they'll move not necessarily because of, uh, of violence. A lot of them, they will move because of economic, you know, recessions or economic reasons. Their families will try to look for a better job or families are looking for a better situation, etc. My situation was different. Uh, there was two attempts in, in- fact to try to kidnap me, and my dad you know both, thankfully both attempts were uh, were unsuccessful right I'm still here mm-hmm. both attempts were unsuccessful, and my dad you know realized that his business he was a he was a business owner he was a businessman he owned about seven butchers across the city and mm-hmm. uh you know he realized and he thought about it that maybe it was better for the sake of us as a family than to move mm-hmm. to go up to to make the travel up north um uh, because you know it will be safer for 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 us in general. You know, in other words, I have a highly respect for that man because he put his family above his business, and yeah. that's unusual from a businessman. And, if and you think about it.
0: Sorry for interrupting you, but no, no,
1: go for that, it. That is
0: that is something that I I talk in my video lecture about Latin uh, people, like you know, family. It's just, we have strong ties to family.
1: Yes. So I,
0: that's a that's a really nice example. I mean, he, he, I mean, owning seven bunch of places, right? Yes. So and and just uh, thinking more of. His family and then moving to another country now he yes did, did he or does he speak english or did did he speak he speaks English, english a little
1: bit yes okay. he does he speaks English a little bit I think he spent he spent part part of his youth in uh Los Angeles back in the seventies oh okay, so he yeah, so he picked up quite a bit of English in fact, when we moved to the states mm-hmm. again my nor my story is not the normal story right right uh, i would I would get it home and he will he will he will help me with my homework you know it was really again, I guess I was a blessed kid in that sense. Right. Because, right. you know, a lot of a lot of our students, you know, from our, from our previous experience, we you know that their parents don't speak English. And they can't uh, help them. And they can't help them out. You know, they can't right. help their students with their homework. Right. So going back to the story, uh, you know, my dad decides to move. And then uh, I remember, and I'm going to mention this because I remember somebody asking me this once I was telling the story. Mm-hmm. They were like, well, how come he didn't choose? How come he didn't move to a different state instead of just, you know, completely moving to a different So I was saying that when we moved, uh, you know, the reason I'm going to ask, uh, mention this is because somebody, I was telling that story once to, to a friend of mine, and he asked me that, you know this question that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, well, instead of moving to a completely different country, mm-hmm. how come you didn't just move to a different state? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and the reason why he didn't do that is because, unfortunately, these uh, you know, uh, criminal groups, they have pockets all over the country right and pretty much once you become a target to one of these people they will they they will follow you they will chase you down right because all because what they want is what they want your money and they they'll make sure that uh you don't live in peace until they get it in a sense Mm -hmm. so what my parents did they you know what my dad did he went he sold everything to his brothers you know all everything under the water to make sure it didn't look like he was Mm leaving he sold everything to his brothers and um you know he he didn't even sell the house. I remember we we left the house, man. It was a beautiful house. We left it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, think about it, man. My childhood was rough. I had a pool in my backyard, right? Very rough. My childhood.
2: All
1: oh, right. <laughs> right. So, so uh, yeah. We so we left the house, uh-huh. and my I remember my dad just told me, "Hey, pick up two three toys that are your favorite uh, because we're moving." And I was like, "Wait, I want to take my whole toys Better Pack my stuff. You know, pack a couple toys of mine
2: uh-huh.
1: here next. Thing, and here we are. Here we are in the United States, and um, you know it was, it was very, very uh, different when we moved to the United States because we moved into a, you know, my dad with his savings, he wanted to make sure that his money would last definitely because he didn't know where he was going to go into. He he didn't know when, when he was going to get a job, et cetera. So we're moving to a, uh, we're moving to the city. We, I'm sorry, we're moving to an area in the city that is pretty much considered very, very low income. Right there in the Kansas City, Kansas City metro area. In fact, it's the same. It's the same city where you know you and I. You know we have our students currently. Oh okay. And yeah, so we move up there, man. And and I you think about it, right? I mean, as a kid, going from a house in the pool. Uh-huh. Now going going into a you know a house that it's about a hundred years old to begin with, and now it has you know it only has two bedrooms, and I'm sharing now here. I'm sharing a bedroom with my brother and my sister, and. You know, a tiny a tiny space, and it was one of those places where my dad would tell me, "Hey, don't go. You can go. You can go out there and play too much because we're a middle neighborhood, and I've heard of this neighborhood is a little rough. Uh-huh. So I don't want you to be up there a lot. So I spent a lot of hours inside. We were only there for a few months. We weren't there for too long. Okay. We were there for um, you know for about six months until my dad, you know, you know, figured out the situation what we were going to do and where we were going to go. Uh-huh. And uh, and from there, uh, I didn't even went to school in there. In fact, because we came here right at the at the end, we came here at the beginning of the school district. I mean, of the school semester mm. in the fall. Oh. So I spent my I spent my entire fall pretty much at home. Okay. Uh, while, while my dad will figure out situations and what we're gonna do, we're gonna move, trying to get a car, you know, because here it's a, it's a little different, yeah. you know. There's our at least our city. Our city doesn't have a lot of huge doesn't have a lot of uh, public transportation wise. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to figure out a car, trying to figure out, a, you know, the whole situation for us to move. Now that I'm a grown up man and I have my own family and I get to think, and I get to look at the decisions that he made and how he did it. You know, I always, I always say the following, you know, uh, I will always take off my hat. and
2: mm-hmm.
1: have huge respect of how he did it. Yeah. How he pulled it, how he pulled it off to him. You know, move his family from one country to another not only that, changes his entire routine, changes his entire modo soprano, we can say, because mm-hmm. he, you know, the first job that he picked up, he picked up, he was cleaning up some offices in the airport. Mm-hmm. He went from, you know, think about it, right, he went from being the boss, and he went from, you know, telling people what to do, in a sense, and from yeah. running his own business to pretty much, you know, you know and, nothing, and nothing wrong with the job itself, but again, I mean, coming from a man who's who got used to a different lifestyle now because he's living in a different country. He's doing things, you know, for the better of his family. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, again, I, I have a huge respect for my dad in that sense, uh, just because I I honor what he did. And I admire him now that I have my myself, I have kids, you know, I'm like, wow, wow. How do you guys, how do you guys did that? Yeah. So once we were here, we moved into the North, Kent, my dad moves up North. He, you know, he found a, a, a nice place up north, northern the city. So we, we, I grew up in North Kansas City. In fact, it's a very nice neighborhood up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, it was way nicer back then. You know, about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we moved up there, and I went to a topping elementary school. And I remember that when they enrolled me there, uh, there was no other Hispanic, kid. or oh, there was no other, no other, you know, Hispanic class thing in my classroom.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I was all by myself. And as you can tell as well, the complexion of my skin—I mean, in a sense—I mean, I don't—I don't qualify for the average or the typical, you know, uh, the skin tone that you know a Mexican will have because right. you know we're, we're we're so common. Unfortunately, there's a stereotype thinking that all Mexicans they have their skin that their, their, their tone skin is brown. That's a stereotype. Yeah, right?
0: that's a wow. That's
1: a huge stereotype that is here in the in the states in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, I mean. You, and yeah, I'm sure you, you probably know you know this because there's a lot of folks in Guadalajara that, you know, they're not necessarily, or want to Montefiore, Mexico, they're not necessarily brown skin. I mean, they're yeah. very European-looking, even yeah. more European than I do, I mean, yeah. brown, I mean, you know, taller, and, you know, blue eyes, and right. very yeah. blonde, so, and yeah. they can't speak a single word in English, by the way,
2: right? Yeah, that's <laughs> right.
1: They can't speak a single word in English, but yeah, so, you know, my skin tone, in a sense, um, you know, every time I went to school they would tell me you're Mexican and I would just shake my head because I I you know, I'll hear the word Mexican. And I would just shake my head, you know. I don't know. I, and then, then they're like, and I remember the them telling me, You don't look Mexican. You don't look Mexican. <laughs> yeah, you
0: don't
1: look Mexican. I'm like, I would I wouldn't even know how to I mean, I don't even know how to say, you know, a few words and I would just hold my head and like, Yes, I am, you know, I just say, yeah, I'm uh, Mexican. Yeah. I'm from Mexico, I was born in Mexico, and so that's the first thing that I found interesting as a kid, you know. Uh, everybody thought that me being Mexican, at least in my classroom, they thought that I, they were gonna be seeing a kid with you know uh, dark dark skin complexion, and I found that interesting. How even that it's uh, among our kids already, you know, it's so grounded in the culture that, You right. know, we were we were in fourth grade and then we were we were already thinking, oh, you know, you know this you know this kids Mexican kids they look brown, right. So that's the first one, and uh, I remember my first day I always still this because I found this fascinating too. Uh, my first day of class i was they literally just brought me there uh, and you got to think about this Fernando you know twenty years ago e s l was not a, was not such a in high demand in our city as it is now right yeah, right we We became very diverse in the past twenty years, and for that I'm very thankful of right. all the help that kids get today, mm-hmm. but you know back in the day, i mean ESL was not necessarily as, as huge, or if it was, it was not in that district where my dad where my dad put me. Mm-hmm. So it was full I mean it was in a sense it was full immersion. There was no there was no other Hispanic kids in the school. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, there was no extra help for him. So the expectations were the same.
2: Right.
1: Right? Mm-hmm. The expectations were the same for me as yeah, for, yeah. For, yeah. For, for, for another fourth grader.
2: Yeah,
0: you would test it as as a native English speaker.
1: Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Think about it, right? Mm -hmm. And I was there. They put me down. They set me down in a chair in my desk. And I remember um, what the teacher. I mean, I remember just the teacher standing and they're just talking to introduce me. And she told me to stand up, and I didn't. I knew she she was telling me to stand up because I didn't. uh, She was moving her hands up. Mm -hmm. You know, Luis. You know. Stand up. So, uh, so I, I, so I found that as a cue, I'm like, oh, okay, she's trying to tell me to stand up. So I stand up, and then she told me, "Can you say hi to your classmates?" And I just, you know, she was, I was mimicking what she was doing pretty much. Uh, I was just, you know, just you know, saying hi to my classmates, et cetera. And those it they, they sat me down, and then after that, uh, professor, believe it or not, I was lost the entire day, and I don't want to say the entire day, the entire next few months, I was lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will just I will just follow what my my classmates will do. So let's say if they get in line, I will just go there and get in line. Every time we get in line I had no idea where we going. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Think about it. Every time they'll get in line I had no idea where they were going. If they were if we were going to uh the only reason I know we were gonna to go to lunch is because I knew what time was lunch.
2: Right.
1: And I and and I also knew when we were gonna to go to recess because remember it's the fall, it was over the winter now, mm-hmm. um, when we started. Is because when I see the kids grabbing their jackets, I knew it was time for it was time for races. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were my only two cues that I that I had for a few months, because I mean, it, it, it took a while, you know, to to for me to it took a while for me to you know start picking up everything that was going on because it was just it was too much it was too much input, mm-hmm. you know, for a nine-year-old kid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was too much input for mm-hmm. a nine-year-old kid just to be, you know, set up in the in the in the in the environment in a sense. Um, There was no translators in schools, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the, the only the only close thing that I came up to a translator was my dad took me to a to an office depot, and he bought me a one of he, he bought me a calculator, and I was like, Dad, what do I need a calculator for? He like, No, it's not a calculator. Open it up. So I opened it up, and it was a pocket translator. Where you oh, will type in the words,
0: Uh huh. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, you will. Well, you will type in the. I don't know if they still make those anymore. It's pretty much like Google Translate in your phone, right? right. So like Google Translate in your phone. So they will. They, they will. It was about this big, and they uh, have because they had a full keyword, a keyboard in there, right. where you will type in where you will type in the word, and it will give you the translation on it. Right. So now and then, I don't remember that I me mean one of the little more expensive ones, where you will type in sentences, and it will translate yeah, the whole sentence for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was my helper. That was my translator, in a sense. Uh, mm-hmm. But then I ran into a situation, you know, as a kid, you as a kid, you know, and we, we have this situation as well in, in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, once you're, you're you're growing, your vocabulary, your lexicon is expanding, correct? I mean, as you grow yeah. up in life, your lexicon expands. Mm-hmm. And, as you go, and as you go through to grade schools, so as you go, you know, your lexicon will expand and you will understand more words that, you probably never heard of before, and now you understand what it means. So, as we were growing, I remember the you know the first two three months. After the three three months, I start picking up on words and sentences. Um, I, the first word that I figure out what it meant without necessarily me translating it in my head or in my tra- in my puppy translator, it was the word "people." I got so excited. I mean, my first word in English was "people." In mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I was able to write it back and forth. I was I was saying it, super excited. But then, you know, once I became very comfortable over the summer with my English, then we came back to school to fifth grade.
2: Mm.
1: It was a whole different game mm. because I thought I already knew how to speak English. I thought I already I thought I already get by. Mm. The next thing you know, they started introducing me to pre-algebra, man, and I'm like, whoa! I didn't see pre-algebra in Mexico, you know? Yeah. Um, because I because not because they were not not because. didn't thought in Mexico is because Mm -hmm. grade level wise, I was not introduced to that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have the lexicon or I didn't have the words in Spanish for pre-algebra. Yeah. And now I'm here trying to learn a whole different subject. Mm -hmm. Now in a language that is not my heart language to begin with. Right. And it was now, and it was, and it was a subject that I've never saw in my heart language. So think about that. Right. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of, that's a lot of things, that's a lot of the things that are going on that our, our teachers a lot of times don't understand. That you know, some of your students have probably never heard the word biology, not even in their in the, in their native language. Mm-hmm. You know, or algebra or geometry, you know, words that are we can say that are common,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, for educators. they probably they've never heard them before. And um uh, and especially now with our ESO students, how how diverse they are. Um uh, you know, I can tell this to your students as well, is that you're not only going to have Hispanic kids or kids like like me, you know, coming from Mexico from uh, very well-educated, in a sense. We were very Uh well-educated. That's not going to be your typical, you know, ESL student, especially those that are are coming from refugee camps, especially those that are coming from, you you know, in some parts of Africa or Middle East where the only school they have seen is pretty much religious school and they don't necessarily teach their, their subjects. They will just teach you how to read the Quran or the Bible, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't really mm-hmm. grasp any idea of, you know, non- math concepts. They've probably never seen, you know, mm-hmm. necessarily the numbers in a sense mm-hmm. um, because they were born in the refugee camps and, you know, with all the, all the limitations that are within the camp, they're able to do what they can do. Man. And, uh, a lot of your students are going to be like that. Right? I remember in KCIA, man, where we had students that literally last week they were in the refugee camp and now they were here in school. Really? And I remember, you know, part of our job as translators were, was to help them out, you know, for example, in transitions in life, yeah. in basic life skills, mm-hmm. which they were, for example, even how to use toilet paper. Think about that, right? Oh, even I mean, to, to-, yeah.
0: to have a toilet.
1: Yeah, exactly. They didn't even have a toilet. Mm-hmm. And now they and now they have a toilet. Um they have uh we, we remember teaching you know a lady a girl one time a little girl, how to use a spork because mm-hmm. she, didn't she was using she was using her god given utensils her entire life right. and i'm and I'm like in a sense, I was very blessed with the background that I have mm-hmm. very blessed mm-hmm. because in a sense, I was way ahead of the curve right. way ahead of the curve, mm-hmm. but at the same time, even though I was ahead of the curve i had a lot of I had a lot of challenges still so your students, um, and you know, in US, as, as future ESL students, are going to see a diverse, and not, and, and what I found interesting is that, not one box fits them all. Mm-hmm. They're all different. They're all different. They are all different. Even, and even, they all,
0: even if they come sorry. from Mexico, Yes,
1: example, even if they come from Mexico, be exactly.
0: They're so different too. Yeah.
1: Exactly. They're going to be so different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're all going to be different. So, um, a suggestion will be, you know, always be flexible. What works with one of your kids, one of your students, doesn't mean it's going to work with another one. And then because it doesn't work with another one, it doesn't mean either that it's wrong. Mm-hmm. I found that interesting. Yeah. So anyway, uh, as we were moving forward with the story, man, um, mm-hmm. so, you know, it took about three years, you know, well, we went to fifth grade, uh, you know, start seeing bigger words. And I remember going home and I would talk to my dad about it. My dad would try to explain to me, you know, his best his My dad was a businessman. He was not a mathematician. He was not a biologist, right? He he would explain me the best of his abilities. Um, And I would go and ask my sister this time because she was a little older when she came. So she seen the subjects. Mm. And, you know, I was fortunate. I was fortunate and I was blessed enough that I was able to – I had a source who to go to for help. So that was my six, seven, eight – I'm sorry – uh, one event that I want to talk about before I move into the bigger and to the upper grader levels. Um, you know, it was it was in fifth grade, uh, sixth grade, I'm sorry, it was sixth grade. Um, when an event that not only changed the world, you know, I felt how it changed my life. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, September September eleventh came in.
2: Oh, yeah. And probably
1: uh-huh. yeah, you know, that September eleventh uh-huh. I was in my classroom, we were eating breakfast nine o'clock in the morning. So
0: you were in sixth grade?
1: Yeah, I was in sixth grade, okay. sorry. Don't tell me where, you were probably in college, right? I
0: was, <laughs> I was in college, yeah. <laughs> right.
1: Uh, so uh, it was in sixth grade, and uh, I remember I was eating my breakfast, and next thing you know, my teacher comes in, freaking out and crying, and we were just staring at her. The like, whole class was just staring at her, like, "Whoa, what just happened?" And then she turned the TV on, and she was like, "Guys, guys, there's been an accident. It was an accident at nine o'clock in the morning, still, mm-hmm. right?" It was still an accident. By ten o'clock in the morning, here in here in, uh, here in the here in Missouri, that's when it was declared that it was a, a terrorist attack. Now that was the very first time that I heard a terrorist attack in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the first time I even heard the word terrorist in a sense. Mm-hmm. So I went back home. I didn't really understand what was going on. I went back home. I went to the source of my knowledge. It was my dad, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, "Hey, dad, what does this mean?" And I remember the words that he told me. He's like, please, this means that our life is going to get a lot harder now. Mm-hmm. I remember those words, our life is going to get a lot harder. And I didn't really understand why mm-hmm. at then. But now that I'm a grown up man, I go back and I'm like, wow, yes, it did. It, it definitely changed the dynamic. Oh, yeah. It changes It changes the dynamic in a couple of ways not only change the dynamic of living here in the United States in general, unless, uh, you know, this event was horrible, man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my prayer is that we never see something like that ever again. And uh, and that we and then we take all the measures, you know, that are, the, all the measures that are appropriate to make sure something like this doesn't happen ever again. But at the same time, I'll go back and I'm like, how has this changed the life of immigrants in the, in the first decade of the first century? Especially here in the United States uh, it was during this time, for example, that uh, you know doctor laws towards immigration you know they were legislated mm-hmm. it was during it was during this time where I had friends i remember i remember in my in my e s l class oh by the way, I didn't mention this, but i did not I did not see e s l until i went to uh, until I was introduced into medical school. Mm-hmm. I went two full years without e s l
2: yeah
0: and, 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 and then 6th grade, you become ESL. And,
1: yep. Or they, six, used to, and six, they used
0: to call it ESL. Now they... ESL. To, to they ELL. call it ELL,
1: right? Yeah. Or oh, ELL. What do they call it now? E- ELL. ELL, yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I didn't, I didn't see EL, ELL until I was in 6th grade. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you think about that, that I kind of left... Um, there's a huge gap in between. That mm-hmm. shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't have been there. Um, I think i go back and I think that my principal or my teacher, they could have done a better job in that sense and send me mm-hmm. to a school that they had ESL. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure it wasn't in, in the city. It was just, it wasn't very popular probably. But they could have done, they could have go back and be like, you know what, this kid is struggling in so many areas. Let's find him the help, right? As yeah. an educator, right? I said, yeah. you as an educator, that's probably the best, first thing you think about it, right? Okay, yeah. there's situations in life of this kid that are... That are that are not the norm. How can I step in and help out, right? And and, and uh, you know, I wish that would have been the help, but unfortunately, it wasn't. But that's yes. a lesson for for you, for me, and for all, and, and for your future. You know, for your for your future teachers that you, we have that we have them hearing us is that uh, uh, if you can't find necessarily the help, or, or if you don't have the help in your hands for your student. Mm -hmm. You know, do the best for them because you may not change the world, but let me tell you something. You will change the life of that kid. Mm -hmm. And in other words, you will change his world. That's the kind of, that's the kind of power that you have as an educator. You can change the world of the kid. Yeah. If you find the, if you find the right tools for him. So let me go back now to my to my you know September 11 situation. Um, after September 11, you know, historically speaking, the United States became tougher uh, with immigration laws, yep. mm-hmm. and that means that the immigration laws were going to affect us as well because we were immigrants in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also it also became very aware of who was of who was from the Middle East mm-hmm. from the Middle East. It was you became very aware. I remember even our school, one of our teachers. Uh, one of our non-ESL teachers, you know, he put us in. A, he, they, they brought us together into an assembly, and they say that, um, um, you know, if if somebody was picking up on kiddos from the Middle East, they were going to be expelled because it became an issue. Think about that, mm-hmm. right? If somebody was calling them names or somebody was calling them terrorists and stuff yeah, like that, yeah. it was gonna. It became an issue. Uh, you know, I saw that. I, no one's gonna tell me, "Oh, you're you're making up fake news." No I man, I saw that. I I went through that. I, mm-hmm. you know, I live it. And mm-hmm. uh, it be- and not only became a hard, you know, very hard for them. It became very hard for the you know immigration community in general. Um, mm-hmm. I remember a lot of people being deported during this time as well. Friends of our family, being getting being deported. They were here undocumented, and uh, they were getting deported just because they they ran a stoplight because because again the the laws or or the law enforcement became very more severe in a sense right. and um and, and you know people were getting deported here and there, and the first thing that my dad did was like, "Hey, look, we have to be careful uh we gotta make sure that we take care of ourselves, and we gotta make sure that you know in a sense we we we, we, we protect our family uh life has to go on, I have to still go out there and go a job, you still have to go to school." But you need to make sure that you're very careful who you who you talk, who you speak, and what you tell them as well. Mm-hmm. It was very, it was very, very scary years. Two thousand one, two thousand mm-hmm. two, two thousand three became a more relaxed, now was already in eighth grade. Uh but yet you will still see um uh you you will see uh situations that are very that, you know a typical kid wouldn't go through. Uh for example, I remember, you know, sitting in my in my dinner room with my dad. And with my mom, dad, and my brothers and my dad will talk about how one of his friends, uh, got, got raided at the work at the weather job work, mm. you know, and now his wife and kids were at home alone because, you know, dad was picked up by immigration in the, the work area. Mm. And that's another topic that a lot of people is not speaking about living mm. today, Fernando, mm. but a lot of your students, um, a lot of your students, and a lot of your future students as well for your, for your students itself, right. um, they're gonna deal with an issue that not only is, um, excuse me, that not only is a an issue that affects the United States in general. It's an issue that is gonna affect the life of your of your own students. A lot of your own students, they're probably gonna be here undocumented. Many of them, mm-hmm. not all of them, for sure, but many of them are gonna be undocumented, and mm-hmm. that's an extra, that's an extra weight or an extra backpack that they're carrying. Uh, you know, they're carrying it into the classroom. Because of because whether we want it or not, a lot of a lot of our students, you know, they carry that backpack with them. And I'm not I'm not no fault of their own for, for sure. You know, but they're carrying that backpack. They're carrying that weight. And that weight is gonna put in a lot of them. And a lot of them is gonna put uh, limitations. And depending on the age group that you're gonna be teaching, is how it's gonna reflect. For example, if you have a high schooler that is doing really great in math. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're probably thinking at this. They're probably thinking nine, ten, and they're probably thinking, okay, my time is running out. What am I going to do with my time? Uh, and what am I going to do with all this knowledge that I'm picking up? Because when I hit twelfth grade, uh, I won't be able to go to college, mm-hmm. right? It depends on the on the on the grade level. It's gonna how it's gonna reflect. If it's in the middle schooler side, they're gonna be more afraid of probably deportation. Right. if it's on the if it's on the younger side from the first to fifth grade they're gonna be worrying about if their parents are home when they get home yeah right mm-hmm. so depending on their age it's how how is how this is gonna reflect, and depending on their on their again on their family situation is how it's gonna reflect so um uh, my prayer for you guys definitely will be that i give you guys wisdom on you know, how to how to deal with all these situations because mm-hmm. uh it's just another challenge for your student to learn a base, you know, another subject in the classroom. It's there. So that became very aware, you know, for me growing up, it became very aware. Um, I saw a lot of, you know, a lot of my friends were just being afraid of it in general,
2: Yeah,
1: but you have to move on, right? Life has to move on. You can't just live in fear. You got to move on. You got to do whatever you got to do the best in your abilities to be able to move on. Um, thankfully, you know, we were able to move on. Uh, I went through my high school to my high school years, you know, very well. And then uh college came in, I was able to, you know, thankfully to go to college. And uh, you know, every early I realized that and I was being called into ministry. So my education, my main education was focused mainly in ministry wise. Mm-hmm. And then I got a I got a few more certificates from different areas that are really, you know, that in a sense are a little like hobbies or passions to me. Mm-hmm. For example, IT or mechanics. Yeah, um, you
0: do like IT and yes, yeah, so
1: right? I do IT for a school. Yes, yeah, so yeah. I also do IT for a school. I forgot to mention that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right now we're really busy, by the way, because of the, oh, yeah. <laughs> the whole shutdown. Because of the whole shutdown that we have. Right. Um, so we we moved the whole platform into online learning. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I go back and and if in a sense, I mean, if, if you look at my life, I guess we could we could take it as an example for a lot of these kids. Because even though we had so many social challenges, yet we were able to pull it off, and we, and we were, and now, I mean, in a sense, I'm living a very blessed life as well. I'm married. I have three kids. Mm-hmm. I live in, I mean, I live in a nice house, and, uh, uh, socially speaking, in a sense, I'm, 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 I'm very stable socially speaking, very stable. Mm-hmm. Um. But if I look if I go back and I remember having students, for example, uh, they there in KCIA, I remember one of them telling me once, he's like, Why do I have to work so hard? If I know I'm just gonna end up working as a construction worker because mm-hmm. you know, I don't have papers.
0: Hey, that that is uh, a cultural characteristic called <clears throat> fatalism. That they yep. they think they they you know they don't have any future, nothing is gonna change. Why do I have to Try hard at school. If you know, if my life is gonna be the same as my dad's life. So yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm.
2: yeah. that's
1: the example they see. Yeah, you know
2: what I'm saying? Right. That's yeah. the
1: example they right. see. Right. And it's, and if you think about it, it's a natural example because kids <laughs> tend to look up for their parents and what right. they do. Right. 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 Like right now, one of my kids, you know. He plays that he's being a preacher because he sees me preaching on Sundays, Yeah, Mm -hmm. right? It's it's a natural thing. Mm -hmm. In the the life of a child, it's a natural thing to try to mimic their parents. So if you put that in the context of an immigrant, and especially into an an undocumented immigrant, why do I need to work so hard in school? Why do I need to learn these things that are very hard? Why do I need to learn these words that are very hard to learn? If I know I'm going to be working in construction or if I know I'm going to be working in the kitchen, Right. Because that's what my dad does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember also you know, hearing this from another student. He's this is a first grader. All right. Think about this. This is a first grader. And and I told him, like, what do you want to be when you get older? He's like, I want to be a police officer. And I was like, mm-hmm. Okay, that's awesome, man. We need more police officers like you. You know? Mm-hmm. And turn courage the kid, man. And he was like, But I know I'm gonna end up killing pigs. I'm like, what? And I thought he was like, I thought he was like saying this in a different a different wording, right? He's like, mm-hmm. I know I'm gonna end up killing pigs, mm-hmm. and I'm like, why, why you say that? Why, why what do you mean you're gonna end up killing pigs? And he's like, I'm gonna end up killing pigs because my dad works killing pigs, mm-hmm. so more likely I'm gonna end up I'm gonna end up I killing pigs because like, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm like, you can like, uh, well, you know, killing pigs is not necessarily a bad job, right? You know, no job is bad, and that's a thing that we have to emphasize as well to help out this kid. Yeah take it to the school list and then you will have more opportunities than what your parents probably had. Mm-hmm. Right. That's one of the things that we're trying to emphasize as well with our, with our students, with our kids. And, um, being honest. So that social aspect, you know, Fernando, it's a, it's a, so it's a, it's a real one. It's a real one that not only affects, this is the, the key part as well. A lot of people think that only Hispanics are undocumented, but you know, my friends, there are Asian undocumented, mm-hmm. There are Africans that are undocumented. They're here. There are tons of Europeans. Think about it. There are tons mm-hmm. of Europeans that are undocumented. Right. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the the situation how it is 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 we in a sense we you know Hispanics are the face of you know undocumented
0: immigration. Undocumented. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, we are the face of it, but it's not. It's a it's a, it's a social aspect that it's, it's it's real. It's out there, mm-hmm. and thankfully. Uh, you know, I was reading a few articles a few, you know, a couple of years ago. In the past four years, this, three years, in fact, this became more of a, a political issue again, mm-hmm. over, over again. You know, with the Obama administration, it kind of like went down. Nobody was talking about it. Right. But then, but then, you know, with with the current administration that we have right now, I mean, he became very, very aware of it. Mm-hmm. Very aware of, you know, the, the whole situation. Right. And um, I remember even some states that were trying to pass laws that. Um, that undocumented children wouldn't be able to go to public school. Um, but thankfully, you know, the, the Supreme Court back in the 80s, they, they decided that uh, undocumented children, they were entitled for a public education, not necessarily because they were Americans, but because they were children to begin with. And second, because they didn't want anybody in the land of the United States to be uneducated if they came here as a children. So thankfully that's already said and we've seen an uprising of you know this this whole issues in many different ways, man. Mm-hmm. That but in a sense, again, because it it, it's, it might be something that you and I were reading in the newspapers now, right? But it's just, yeah. in a sense it's something that is affecting a lot of our students out there. Yeah. And those and those challenges in the backpack again, think about it as a backpack with the load, right? Mm-hmm. In a sense that backpack is getting bigger and is and it's getting heavier for the students
0: that they have to carry into the classroom. So, okay, so just give my students, you know, three advices of, of, um, you know, how to treat an ESL, an ELL student when they, you know, when it's their first time at school. You know, like, uh, I mean, I can imagine right now I mean, I remember I moved to United States when I was 29, and I, I was scared to death just to go outside and talk, you know? Right. When I can't right. believe a little kid, nine years old, just facing a new language, a new culture, um, you know, being afraid of being rejected. Right. But that, that's, I think that's natural when you face something new. Um, right, of course. Right? And I mean, I was 29 you know, you can overcome that very easy, but, um, uh, a little kid, you know, it needs more than just, it needs more than just be brave, you know,
2: it needs
1: right. So anyway, um,
0: could you share with us based on your experience with teachers, you know, first, what would you do? Uh, what would you tell my, my college students, uh, uh, about how to treat the students who are first time at school as
1: an ESL students. Right. Um, you know, this is something that I actually did. So I tell you that it worked for me. Mm-hmm. It's something that I did while I was working as a translator in, in the school that you're teaching mm-hmm. currently as well, yeah. KCIA. I've worked there for about seven years, and, mm-hmm. um, and I remember and I remember that this is what I did uh, with this with the kids that they were coming in from you know overseas. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a sense, just being, you know, being, let them know or make them aware because a lot of times you can, ex, you can tell them all these nice words. You can even write them a poem. Or let me tell you something, friends. Mm-hmm. Even if you write them a poem that is so beautiful, they're not going to understand it. Okay. That's reality. Mm-hmm. That's reality. They're not going to understand your, your poetry or, or they're not going to understand your words of affection. Yeah. Uh, what they're going to understand is your, is, is your body language. Body That's language. what they're going to understand. Their body language completely. So, what I what I've done and what I've did while I was in the KCIA years, definitely I will I will always keep a smile on. Not a not not, not one of those that I freak out my smiles, man. Just a nice smile on, yeah. a normal smile on to begin with. And second one, you know, set up an you know in the first couple of days, set up an instructor where anybody, whether they're they're from any, they're, Regardless of the country you come from or the language they speak, that is very easy to pick up. Mm. Very easy to pick up. So for example, every time you're gonna every time there's a transition, mm-hmm. think about it, right? The kid that just came out of overseas doesn't understand where we're going. Mm-hmm. So maybe you maybe make a, a picture calendar to begin with. And every time we're going to do something, point towards that calendar and, and points towards the activity that is coming next. Mm-hmm. Now, as an educator, this might be a, little, a lot more challenging because not every day looks the same. Right. But let me tell you something again. You will make your day. You will make your students day if you, if you do something like this because your students are going to be aware of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if they're aware of what's going on, you know, they're going to feel safe. Okay. And, to, and that and that is my you know my, my biggest, biggest uh, my, my number one and biggest uh, uh, recommendation we can say. Mm-hmm. It's make your students feel safe. Because right. if they feel safe, uh, they will be able to unload the backpack in their chair mm-hmm. and be able to learn. Right. Because they know it's because they know it's a safe zone. Mm-hmm. Make them feel safe. Not necessarily with words, right, but with your but with your actions. Mm-hmm. Make them feel safe, okay so that's the first one uh, the second one that you know be always open, be always open uh, to change Right. because not one box fits them all, and don't try to inbox all your students into one box right. because they all come from different backgrounds and they're probably seeing things that you and I have probably seen in movies. Think about that. Mm-hmm. And things that we read in books, right. things that we read in the news. Uh, these kids, they have seen it. Mm-hmm. They've seen it. And there's been, been there from poverty to violence, from war to isolation. They've yeah. seen it. Yeah. And it became a normal thing for them in a sense. Mm-hmm. My, number, my number three recommendation for you all will be to be constant, to be constant with your students. Mm-hmm. Um, in many areas, Constant when it comes down, for example, for expectations, constant for uh, even uh, among discipline. Because remember, a lot of them you're going to see them. They come from different backgrounds, from many, many different backgrounds. Now, when I mean constant, I don't mean that you're going to do the things, you're going to do the same thing every single day. But what I mean is that your goals and your expectations uh, towards them, they need to be realistic. But but you also need to be constant on it. Right. Because they could, they could, they, because they're more propensed. If you think about this, right? If any, if any children in the United States is propensed to fall behind, your, your EL, your ELL students, they are, they're twice as or more to fall behind. And even, and even as they grow, for example, be like, oh, he'll catch up when he grows. Mm-hmm. You know, the gap gets bigger because the language gets, because the language gets harder mm-hmm. and, and because of, uh, you know, the situations as well among his life, it'll get tougher. So be constant, you know, with your students um, and, and be diligent. Do, do your best at it. Uh, if it requires to work, you know, an extra hour overnight, yeah. get prepared, you know, do whatever it takes. Because, again, you may not change the world. I'm being realistic here. You may be not going to change the world and you're probably not going to be the teacher of the year of Missouri. you know, I hate to tell you that I, ho- I wish you do. I wish you become the teacher of the year of Missouri every single year. Yeah. Let me tell you something. You're going to be the teacher of his life. This student, right? Which, which, if I was in your shoes, I would rather be the the, the teacher of the of the students' lives
2: mm-hmm.
1: than you know to get as many prizes, you know, from the Ministry Board of Education, right? Yeah. All right. Well, that's so, that's that's great. And uh, again, thanks for uh, taking the time to record. Oh this. man, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. And I hope, Professor Navarro.
0: I hope all, you know, I hope you guys, uh, my ELL, not my ELL students, my college students, you can learn from a person who really experienced uh, being an ELL student. And I hope this class, specifically this one, how to work with Latino students, may help you to develop your skills as a teacher. And I think most important, Uh, most importantly as a human being that's i think that's the case and i know as as uh, mr sanchez said you might not going to be the uh, teacher of the year but you are changing a life and believe me that's going to be huge for for your students in the future all right thank you guys and i'll see you later